Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So thank you so much for joining us for this uh, episode of our podcast. Uh, you know, as we think about um, our lives on mission and we think about uh, God's mission as it expands around the world, there are a couple of questions that really haunt us as missiologists and, and haunt us as Christians. And, and one of those is, you know, what happens to people who never hear about Jesus? Uh, is there any possibility at all that people uh, who don't hear about Jesus uh, can somehow be made right with God? And that really is a, a really an issue that presses us and, and presses in on us. And today uh, we have in our studio uh, with us Dr. Steve McKinnon. Uh, he's a theologian, uh, professor at Southeastern Seminary. And so Steve's with us today. We really want to explore this question uh, as a, uh, from a Christian missionary perspective, what happens to people uh, who've never heard about Jesus? So, Steve, thanks for being here with us. Glad that you're joining us for our Scent Life podcast today. I am delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm glad that you're here. Appreciate it. So, Steve, what, um, tell us what you do at Southeastern. Just a real quick introduction of yourself. I teach systematic theology uh, and some historical theology as well. My training is really in early Christianity, uh, the ancient church, patristics, um, and so most of the uh, work that I do here is in things like the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of Christ, um, how it is that God has worked in Christ to bring salvation to those who believe in him. Sure. So what does the early church have to do with missions? Were there any missionaries in the early church? <laughs> uh, everybody in the early church was living on mission, and there were a lot of missionaries. Don't forget the gospel uh, extends from this uh, real small location through the Roman Empire and then beyond the Roman Empire. And the church was regularly sending missionaries out to the, the unreached areas, to barbarian areas, dangerous places, uh, <laughs> planting churches and reaching people the gospel. Good. So there's not anything new, right? So there's Nothing new. What Christians have been doing forever, they were always doing forever, what we're That's doing right. today. That's so right. Good. Hey, so Steve, as we talk today about, um, uh, about missions, the real theological, missiological question that we're asking uh, deals with this real pressing matter, and I think it's both emotionally pressing and theologically pressing. What happens to people around the world who've never heard about Jesus? Because we know if statistics are right, there, there are literally millions of people around the world uh, who will be born, they'll live, they'll die in areas and places where uh, they are, because of political oppression, because of religious, uh, uh, majority religions, they just never hear about Jesus at all, or they don't hear about Jesus in any adequate way. And the question is, what happens to people like that? Um, so I'm going to quote for you by a theologian, Clark Pinnock, uh, from a book uh, called Through No Fault of Their Own. And I just want to read this to you. Uh, he's a theologian. And what's your response to, to, uh, to, to Dr. Pinnock's quote here? So Dr. Pinnock writes this. He says, Surely God's goodness and justice imply that God will not expect people to invoke Jesus' name who cannot possibly do so, since they are ignorant of it from no fault of their own. Surely we want all to confess that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him in whatever ways they can. Is there a theological uh, response to that question? Is, is Clark Pinnock right that it doesn't matter if, you res if you've ever heard of Jesus as long as you do something? Does the, uh, what do we learn theologically? Does the early church speak to this at all? How can you give some help to, to folks today who are thinking about mission and really thinking about the, the plight of people around the world? So uh, Christians have and theologians have tried to deal with this issue uh, from a number of different standpoints and perspectives. 
um, recognizing it is very emotional. Um, mm. No one wants to imagine that there's a person who was born and who lived their entire life and who died um, at, at the at the end of a long life where they cared for people and loved people and loved their family and raised their kids and cared for their grandkids. And at the end of that, that they uh, spend eternity separated from God uh, simply because no one ever shared with them the gospel right. of Jesus. Uh, and, and I think there are uh, a number of, um, of issues, non-emotional, that we have to take into consideration. Okay. One of those is there's no guarantee that just because someone hears the message of the gospel that they're going to respond. Right. And so to, to even present that as the only reason that these people who have lived this life that they've lived but have never heard about Jesus, the only reason they don't become Christians is because they've not heard the gospel, huh. flaws in the face of reality. Right. Because uh, here in our own context in America, there are tens of millions of people that have heard the gospel uh, that still haven't responded uh, in faith. Right. So there's no guarantee just because you hear the gospel, you will respond. Um, and so what theologians, many of them have done is to say, well, salvation doesn't require that you uh, profess faith in Jesus, that you don't have to have a personal faith in him or to name the name of Christ. And so it's, uh, Pinnock is intentional by saying in that statement, God wouldn't require that you name his name. Oh. It's the idea of the anonymous Christian, um, kind of, kind of a, uh, a sense that people are saved by Jesus, just not by faith in him. Wow. Uh, so they would still see themselves as um, acknowledging Jesus is the only way to salvation. It just doesn't require personal faith. Now, the problem with that is that the Bible is replete with this message that says, uh, in order to be made right with God, that you have to confess this, um, this triune God who is Father and Son and Spirit, Jesus being the incarnation of that Son. Mm. And so the saving confession is belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And so what, um, what I think as evangelicals we want to do is to think in terms of um, salvation not as a process, like God put some plan in place and he said, all right, this is going to be this cool plan. There are going right, to be 7 right. billion people, and the only way to be saved is to say this one word or to yeah. say this one name. But instead to think of it as relationally, the way that Paul does in Acts 17, that when God created um, Adam and Eve, they were the only human beings on the planet, and he had a relationship with them. Romans 1 says that they knew him. Hmm. Nonetheless, despite the fact that they knew God, they still sinned. And as Romans 1 says, when all of these people who knew God were given an opportunity to, to act in the way they wanted to act, they became idolaters. Wow. And so you have this from the very beginning in, in Genesis 1 and then again in Genesis 6 to 9 with Noah and his family. There were two times when every person on the planet knew God. Hmm. These, these two families, every one of them knew God, yet still they became idolatrous. And the Bible says because of their heart, uh, they have a heart of stone as opposed to a heart of flesh. They don't have the spirit. Um, even Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, nonetheless chose to sin and disobey God. So there's just no guarantee right. that uh, by sharing the gospel with someone, they're necessarily going to become Christian. The, the history of the Old Testament then is that as these nations dispersed, they all had 
knowledge of the one true God, this God who becomes incarnate as Jesus. This is the story of the, of the Bible. The story of the Bible, right. that all human beings. So the, the story of the Bible is not this one little group of people known as Israel, and then Jesus plops down in the middle of uh, the, the land <laughs> right. of, of Judea right. or whatever. Right. Um, it instead is the story of all human beings at one point knowing God mm. and still becoming uh, idolaters, still right. choosing to not trust him, to not obey him, to not follow him, etc. So all of that being said then, the way that the Bible responds to this is to say, as people were dispersed around the world, choosing to not follow this, uh, this one God that their ancestors had known, um, they don't know that story anymore. The story's been lost. Somebody didn't tell them. Somebody didn't tell them the story. And so what what we're supposed to do then as Christians is to go tell them that story of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And it's the God that, that their ancestors going far back, mm. they, they knew who this God was. They knew the story. But rather than passing on that story, their ancestors at some point decided they weren't going to pass it on to the next generation. Wow. Um, and so theologians would say there, there is an... Uh, uh, this sense of exclusivity mm-hmm. where the only way to be made right with the one true God is to enter into relationship with him. Right. And the way we enter into relationship with him is to be united to him in his incarnation. And so it's not just that Jesus is the way, like he's some, you know, Jesus, God was pathway. picking some way. Yeah, yeah he's right. like, uh, I'll pick this way instead of right. another. It's that Jesus is God. Right. Um, and so we have to, if we're going to meet God, then we have to meet Jesus because Jesus is that God, not some ethereal God who is just this universal spirit that's out there somewhere. He's a personal and relational God. Yeah, I like to I like to compare that when I'm talking about um, uh, the, the the missionary task. It's not like National Signing Day uh, for college football, where you bring a person to the table and there are these three hats on the table. Which school are you going to go to? Mm-hmm. And the missionary task isn't to go find someone and say, hey, choose your team. You know, do you want to put this hat on? Do you want to put this hat on, the hat of of Christianity, the hat of Judaism, the hat of Islam, the hat of atheism? This is your team. But rather it is this, there's a God in the universe, and he's calling you into relationship with himself. And so really the missionary mandate, the missionary message is, hey, come be in relationship with the God who is your creator. Right, and this God isn't new on the scene. So when we think about the God who is Jesus, he doesn't just show up on the scene in the first century. He's the one who made Adam and Eve and has been interacting with human beings since that time. And we have all of these examples in the Old Testament of people who knew God and who were in relationship with him. Right. They, they loved him. They obeyed him. They trusted him. Uh, they enjoyed that relationship. And then we have uh, the vast majority of people who decided they didn't want to have that relationship with him. And so they not only for themselves didn't believe the story of uh, of God's work, but they also didn't tell their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that story. So the story gets lost. Sure. So the reason why there are people who are born and who live and who die never hearing about this God who becomes incarnate in Jesus is not because we all started at scratch and some people got mm. to hear and some people didn't. It's because their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents didn't tell them that story. But the story already existed in uh, in, in the lives of their ancestors. It just didn't get passed down to them. And we have then this obligation to go as Paul did in Acts 17, and to and to remind them of this story, to tell them, many of them for the first time sure. in that generation, right. 
of the story that the previous generations didn't tell them. So it seems to me that we're kind of at a, at a crossroads here, and really we answer the question, I think theologians can be helpful here uh, as, we, as we think about missions. We almost, uh, as we think about God and his sovereignty and God and his love and desire for people to come know him, uh, we could either uh, depend on and maybe panic and others say, well, there's this God of the universe and he can reveal himself in any number of ways, maybe through the religion of a group of people or through their good intentions or through their, through their conscience, and that brings them to saving faith in him. Or it requires a, a witness, a missionary to go tell them, an, uh, an evangelist that actually goes and tells somebody. How do we respond to that, that God can, uh, in his love and mercy, either from within their culture, again, through their religion or good works or whatever, uh, just says, hey, this is me, come follow me, pick the best way to follow me, and it'll be okay in the end. C.S. Lewis kind of makes this uh, this comparison yep. in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. Or, and God in his love sends an evangelist or a missionary to actually tell somebody. How do we respond to that idea? Right, so what, what theologians would call inclusivity, and that is that uh, Christianity is one way to know this one true God, and there are other ways to know the same God. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that we, we call him Jesus and somebody else calls him Allah or a, a, a different name, mm-hmm. but it's the same person that you just know in a, in a different way. The, the, the problem with that thinking is that the Bible presents to us that there are many gods, mm-hmm. but there's only one that has life. There's only one that's the true and the living God. The, right. other are, the, the others are idols. And that this God has a name, and his name is the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And the reason why as Christians we confess that name and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit is so that the one true God can be distinguished from, from other gods. So it's not that it's just I'm going to you, – you know me as, as uh, Steve, and somebody else knows me as Dr. McKinnon, and my wife knows me as her husband. Sweetie and Bear. Sweetie Bear, yeah. Um, <laughs> it is that we're, we're all referring to the same person. It instead is there's a relationship with a particular God who has distinguished himself from other gods and who has said, I want to know you. And he didn't just set out a plan and a program where he said, the only way for you to know me is if you go through these steps, but there are some secret codes you got to know. You know, you you have to know the combination to the lot to get in. Instead, this is a relationship where he's making himself known by becoming incarnate and Mm. saying, "If if you would believe in me, and again, I think the problem with it, Scott, is that the, our experience shows us and the Bible shows us that most people who hear the gospel still don't respond. True. That the problem is not one of ignorance. It's one of our heart, mm. that we, we desire um, selfish uh, ends and means to those ends. And um, as a result of that, even those who hear the gospel, the vast majority of them don't respond uh, to it. So it can't be just a problem of ignorance, and it can't be that God's not merciful or just simply because someone else doesn't uh, tell you about him. Um, You you know, God has made human beings to be free moral agents, Mm -hmm. and as Pinnock and others um, point out, that freedom allows us to make these decisions. And so... Uh, inclusivists can't have it both ways. Mm. They can't have it as uh, you're responsible and God's responsible. Yeah, that's a good point. Where it is, well, you know, uh, God needs to leave me alone, let me decide what I want to do. But then when I decide the wrong way, somehow that's God's sure. fault as well. Either God gives us the freedom to tell our kids and grandkids uh, and, and our culture the story, 
or he doesn't give us that freedom. And we can't have it both ways. Right. I've often said if if you could if a person could be made right with God through ignorance, then the most wicked thing that a person could do is to tell them about Jesus. That's right. I, I had a conversation with 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 a pastor uh, that had retired and uh, and he essentially said that that the biggest regret he had from ministry was going on mission trips because uh, before when people had never heard about Jesus, they weren't responsible to believe in him. But once he told them about Jesus, now they're condemned. Wow. And it's just a, it's a, uh, it's a misplaced um, sense of what God is doing uh, with the gospel and what God is doing in the gospel um, to, to, even think, to even think that way. Because what God wants is relationship. This is not transactional. Right. God doesn't have a code that you've got to respond with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the sense that God is sitting up on a throne and people in uh, cultures where Jesus isn't named are going to die. And he's standing there and says, do you know the secret code to get in? Uh, that perspective on what God is doing is misplaced. Right. Instead, the perspective is God is pursuing out in the world people to, to have relationship with them. And uh, the means by which that happens is people hearing about that pursuit. And the missionary task is to go and announce to people, this is what God has done in order to know you. Believe in him. Trust so, in him. Yeah, so as Christians, we can't just sit back and say, hey, I'm going to let God do all the work. There's a, there's a requirement and a need for the evangelist and for the missionary. That's right. Romans 10 makes this abundantly clear that the only way people can enter into relationship with someone is to meet them. Right. And, um, you know, my, it could possibly be that in some cultures— there's an arranged marriage where somebody says, you're now married to that other person, but you never will meet them again. But it's not much of a marriage if you've never met them. There's no relationship that's there. It may be on paper that you're related, but there's no genuine relationship unless you meet them. And in the Bible, uh, the place where we meet God is Jesus. He is, Jesus that is, is God coming to dwell among us. Mm. And so if people wanna meet God, then they have to, to, to go to Jesus to meet him. And we become the vehicle by which they're introduced to Jesus. And it's the way that, that uh, just like you might introduce uh, me to one of your friends, uh, it, it wouldn't be fair in some people's thinking that I would miss out on a friendship with somebody else because you didn't introduce sure. me. But the reality is I would miss out on that friendship if you right. didn't introduce me to them. Um, and the same thing's true with God, that we, we're introduced to him. Um, by those who are missionaries and evangelists sure. that share that share this great story. So, so in our world, statistics tell us there are four, almost four and a half billion people that live among what we call unreached people groups. That is, people who have very limited access to the gospel. So, is there any hope at all for people right now who live uh, without with with a limited access to the gospel? And the hope is. Um, access to the gospel. Right. As the world, as people have spread around the world historically, um, technology as well has made um, the the availability of the gospel greater than any other time mm-hmm. in, in human history. Not just because, as it were, the world is flat. We can get on an airplane and sure. be anywhere in the world in a couple of days. Um, I mean, it's not flat like Columbus used to think not, it was flat. Not that kind of flat. Okay. That's right. I'm not that kind of theologian. Um <laughs> It's, it, it is uh, our access to people right. um, is readily available, whether it's technology or in person. And what we have to do as Christians is to find ways 
to announce to people this good news because we're not giving them a secret code sure. that gets them into heaven one sure. day. What we're doing is telling them that this God who has made them and made all of humanity has come uh, to make himself known to them, and all they have to do is receive. But of the, of the other three billion people that are in places where the gospel has been shared, less than a third of them have responded That's to right. that gospel right. in yeah. faith. Right. So again, it's not a question of ignorance. Um, or of access. That's not the reason why people don't, as theologians, we recognize that's not the reason why people don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus in in many instances because they just don't want to believe in Jesus. They want something else. They would rather be an idolater and worship a different different God. Yeah, and so as we talk to this podcast week after week as we come to you, our, our real mission in life is that we live a sent life. We have a missionary God who is pursuing out of his great love, his mercy, and his grace those around the world that need to know Jesus, and we follow him on a life that is sent from wherever we are uh, to wherever he is moving and wherever he is reaching people. And so that's our encouragement to you. We're coming to you live from the campus of Southeastern Seminary from our studios in the Center for Great Commission Studies, and we appreciate you being part of this podcast today. Until next time.